Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Julia Knezevic, who is working currently at uh, Kansai University. Very nice to speak to you today, Julia. Nice to speak to you too, Chris. Thank you. So uh, a little bit different from what we uh, have done before, sometimes we focus on book chapters or journal articles or things like that. Um, but Julia is a highly active uh, interpreter in Japan in the medical industry, assisting foreigners with learning more about how they can receive treatment and also about uh, maintaining health, which is particularly an important issue at this, at this, at this time. Before we get into the presentation that you gave, I'd like to learn a little bit more about your about your background, how did you get into this field and what motivated you to continue this having moved to Japan? I used to work in Japan in the pharmaceutical industry, so it's not necessarily, not exactly medical or hospital, but it's a kind of related industry, obviously, in the pharma. Um, and then when I uh, was in Melbourne, I studied at uh, a graduate school, I studied community interpreting. So that's more, that includes medical and legal and other, um, how do you call it, welfare, social work, also education as well. But in Japan, situation is a little bit different. Medical seems to be quite medical and legal seems to be legal. Education seems to be more segmented, more sort of separated. Then when I got back to Japan in 2015, then I, through my university at that time, I work at Tokyo University of Foreign Studies. So I, um, just my boss actually asked me to teach one of the medical courses. And then that's why I started to teach a medical course. And um, so I've been involved also in training for the accreditation of medical interpreters in Japan in one of the uh, bodies for the accreditation. And also, I, yes, I do a lot of interpreting online and also private hire as well. So it was kind of my experience in Australia and back my business sort of uh, in-house interpreting experience in pharma industry that got me also interested. And just there was a bit of coincidence as well through work that I was asked to teach the course. Well, I mean, that, that's a very wide background, legal, social, medical. Mm -hmm. uh, was there anything that particularly motivated you to focus on the medical side of interpretation and assistance in Japan? Yes, there was a lot of need and also I, well, just by learning, I have to study myself, there's all, all the time treatments keep <clears throat> advancing like IPS, so there's also uh, genome, whatever, all the different sort of advanced technology. I, one of the motivations I have to keep studying myself and learning, it's, it's really the scientific side and all the different treatments and also the differences in treatments between countries that really motivates me. Uh, to study about the field and just generally by studying, I actually study, we all have to take care of our health so it's um indirectly it's kind of it really helps myself as well if i have if i feel unwell i actually start googling and looking up different sites more in depth than i would used to do let's say 10 years ago so it's indirectly actually helping myself give my health and helping the community as well with the language barriers and uh, the differences in the medical system etc so could I ask you, like in, in total, you, you said you worked in, in Japanese pharma in, in the past, but uh, in, in total, how long have you lived in Japan? Uh, so 20, 20, 20, um, 18 years. Right. So a very you know, significant part of your life has been That's outside right. of your 
outside of your home country. Um, in terms of access to medical information and medical services, have you noticed that there's a big difference between what was available, what was uh, recommended in your home country to what is available and recommended in Japan? In Australia, um, there's, uh, it's, what do you call it? there's a bit of legislation difference, let's say. Um, Australia actually has all the interpreting or translating services embedded within the Migrant uh, Act, within the legal system, within the legislation, shall I say. And Japan does not, uh, for various reasons. Um, so in Japan, mainly the Ministry of Health and Welfare deals with all the relevant issues. However, now with PCR, all the because people obviously want to have PCR tests when they go back home, whatever. That mm. seems to be handled more by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm not a politician, so I don't know exactly. But anyways, um, there seems to be quite, let's put, with, the, with the whole interpreting services, it seems to be a lot more business oriented in Japan. And uh, although um, each prefecture or city, uh, I'm sure Fukuoka does as well, they have international organizations that are, uh, provide uh, medical uh, medical interpreting services, but it's mainly volunteer or semi-volunteer based. Maybe you get a little bit of travel expenses or, or some kind of minimal cost. So it's not really seen as a professional, professional level, but the accreditation, the actual interpreting license, would you say? Japan, it's very, it's quite hard test. A lot of my students actually fail uh, first time, even with the medical knowledge. So I kind of see there's a bit of a gap within the expectations of the interpreters and the level of uh, what you call it, qualifications or knowledge or skills and actually the the community not really um, sort of um, hiring them as full-time interpreters as you call it in-house interpreters and the companies are much different they they, they hire you as a as a full as a contractor or as a permanent employee and you know, obviously the conditions are much better than just the um, kind of semi-volunteer volunteer basis so i feel there's a big difference there compared to let's say australia and japan well, my background is I'm, I'm, I'm from the UK. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the UK, we have the National Health Service and mm-hmm. there are private health services. Mm-hmm. But if you if you had a, a health issue, the first person you would go to mm-hmm. would be a general practitioner and mm-hmm. they would then check you. And then if you needed to have a further test, they would refer you to a mm-hmm. hospital. And I, I think that um, people coming from outside of Japan, they might not realize the type of healthcare that is available in Japan. And as you say, it's mostly based on uh, whatever the the hospital that you go to, because they're all private, generally private institutions Mm -hmm. who, I mean, that you receive your health insurance from your employer or whoever you, whoever you buy from. Mm -hmm. Um, So in relation to that, how much support do you get Mm -hmm. from the various institutions you've, you've worked in Tokyo before you're currently based in Osaka like mm-hmm. how much support from the local health institutions the the clinics and the hospitals do you personally get in relation to your work uh, well it's not um, with the online interpreting or what would you call a distance inter- online interpreting basically I'm I work as a freelance I'm kind of registered what you call it like a non-call interpreter, I, I work for, um, what do you call it, provider companies. So they have online interpreting, um, usually we use either PC or sometimes uh, just a mobile phone and we get calls from directly from the hospitals. So most hospitals in Japan, the uh, at least the ones that have international accreditation, 
uh, it's called JMIP, Japan Medical uh, International Practitioners. I think that there's a, a accreditation. So those type of hospitals, they would actually have an in-house interpreter. They would have someone from the, um, let's say, PR office or someone from uh, support admin uh, staff who is bilingual uh, or trilingual. And those type of uh, personnel would assist if the foreigner would come. So usually for a university hospital levels or big scale community uh, levels, which, which have uh, first line, a medical services second so they can do the emergency sort of stuff or transplants etc so they have different levels um so the ones that are very much big scale um you know let's say osaka university uh, hospital or other tokushukai uh, hospitals in osaka also in tokyo as well or seiroka the different hospitals they would have their own staff but at night in the evenings, those usually the admin staff work usually nine to five or nine to six. So after six, if you come in the evening or at night, if you have, let's say, um, high fever or if your child gets sick, then they would usually uh, rely on the outsourcing or the, that would be coming through us through the uh, online or through uh, mobile phones. And that's how we would assist. So, mm -hmm. of course, we don't want to uh, break any kind of medical uh, anonymity or, or or anything like that but so what you're saying is that you are on call mm -hmm. 24 hours a day for these types of services or do you have to book in certain times that you're available for these calls to assist and there's different it uh, depends on your contract so usually i teach at universities and i do other type of translation jobs so i just usually give two or three days a week that I'm available, but obviously if I fall asleep, someone else will take the phone uh, at, the, at the agencies. Uh, and during the daytime, uh, there's also, you can assign us, you can basically choose two to three days a week. Um, but you actually, you can go, uh, in Osaka, you can go into your office and you can actually sit in front of a PC or you can do it from your from your home. So that's mainly this. And also I do some private hire as well. So through some private contacts, obviously when people are unwell, um, they, they quite worried, especially with mental health issues and now with the corona thing that it has continued for quite a while. People can't go back to their home countries or uh, they're, um, they're feeling a little bit um, isolated, shall I say. So there's some uh, with the uh, clinical counselling and that sort of stuff. So I do get some private hire as well. Well, we're going to get into the, the various points because, like I said, you, you've sent me um, uh, a lot of material in relation to the blogs that you do. And again, it's not just emergency care or things related to you know, immediate medical problems, but also, as you say, medical, uh, sorry, uh, also things related to mental health and other long term uh, possible chronic illnesses as well. So we'll we'll speak about that a little later. But I, I just want to uh, just focus on this idea of. Mm -hmm. the call mm -hmm. so how is it uh, addressed to you so mm -hmm. you will be um in an intermediary between the, right, the yes. patients and the doctor or yes yes so basically uh the, basically the usually the doctor would call so usually would be uh, doctors in Japan, um, they can speak English, uh, most mm. of them. Um, so it's not a problem with English itself, but they usually use quite um, uh, medical, they use a lot of medical uh, jargon, shall I say. And, and because they present at international conferences and they're more used to speaking to other doctors or other professionals, medical healthcare professionals. So they have problems sometimes with what to call it everyday lay terms. Right. And in Japan now, there's not only the so-called native speakers, but let's say in Osaka, there's a lot of um, uh, Nepalese population. 
studies that are Vietnamese people um, are people from Kazakhstan or let, let's say people that uh, that uh, they can speak English and they can speak some Japanese but they're not necessarily fluent in either of the languages that's not their mother tongue so they're mainly here for train as trainees in Japan helping mainly in the welfare area etc so when the doctor tries to explain uh, or tries to ask the questions about the medical history of course there's a medical questionnaire so they do have some idea of what's wrong if it's whatever abdominal pain or head they have they can mainly point with their finger so that's not the problem but let's say explaining about the medication or explaining about the need for tests so in japan a lot of doctors would say like just in case let's take for example ct and mri those high scale uh, scanning tests and um well, they do cost a little bit, but obviously people do have insurance, so that's not, not cost may not necessarily be a problem. But I do feel that foreign foreign or non-Japanese patients would ask more, like, why do I need tests? Do I need a test? Right. Would ask, would, would kind of try to question, <laughs> shall yeah. I say, what yeah. the doctor recommends. And some of the doctors, especially of the senior age, are not used to that sort of, um, what would you call it, questioning. Right. Coming from the patient, because usually in Japan it's like, okay, Wakarimashita, right? I'll go and have the test and I'll come back and and uh, whatever. Usually people, um, there are some different, um, uh, there are some exceptions, I'm sure, but in general, people would not uh, have that many questions. And a lot of times, even if Japanese people um, have questions, they would be very considerate because the doctor only has seven minutes or whatever, with nine minutes in total to fill in the prescription or whatever the, the so they kind of consider that other people are waiting so even though they do have questions and they might want to ask specific details uh sometimes they just feel like they might cause trouble or they, they just they don't want to um disrupt the the screening or the consultation so they they'll just they won't ask so i do feel i have to explain a lot so it's mainly tell the patient you take that side so they tell the patient this and then the patients are kind of yes i mean i feel like intermediate rather than interpreting i feel like i'm more giving them <laughs> reported speech and sometimes uh, we repeat it to the patient two times for example about the medication when they have to take it so after the meal two times a day three times a day right. or if they have to or if it's just uh keeping an eye on the case if it's not uh taking you know you don't have to come back unless uh, you're not feeling well that sort of thing well, there was a, uh, a very useful word in that. I mean, uh, not all of our listeners uh, speak Japanese. And so right. when you when you bring up the word wakarimashita, just being mm -hmm. like, okay, I understand. Usually that comes from when someone in a position of authority, so a doctor, maybe a teacher, maybe their boss, head of department, um, that they will follow what's necessary. And, and there's, a, there's an implicit trust in That's that, right. that the person giving the uh, information giving the direction is doing it for the benefit of the person receiving it but yes. uh, again if uh, as you've you've spoken about whether we're dealing in japanese as their second third fourth mm -hmm. that's right um, language, language <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, then there's a certain there's 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 a certain amount of uh, how to say like buffering that you have to do to make sure that you know each each of the parties mm -hmm. the japanese doctor the kazakhstani patient and yourself uh, understand exactly what's what's being passed between uh, the different um, parties. Yes, that's right. Uh, can I just add one more thing? Sorry. When, of course. Sometimes when the doctor recommended, for example, we had a patient uh, <clears throat> uh, that had chronic, chronic diabetes. It was long-term uh, diabetic patient. So they were thinking, obviously, his kidneys were not working that well. So they were thinking about dialysis. 
and uh, hemodialysis, so making a cannula in the hand and using going basically to the clinic and getting that. However, the patient was going to go back to Nepal in a few months, and then but they, but they still wanted to go ahead, so book the make the make the basically the cannula, whatever the access point for the blood. Put. However, when they uh, asked, the, the patient was not actually from Kathmandu, and the patient was quite from the sort of mountainous area, and there is mm -hmm. there are no dialysis clinics over there, <laughs> so that obviously won't work. So in the end. It, it was mainly like, oh, we can't do that. Oh, well, look from patient's background on environmental setting, it's just not viable. viable. They, they can't do that. So in the end, the patient just said, I'm not going to have the treatment at all. I'm not going to have that dialysis. I might just go for the transplant if, if that's possible once back to Nepal. So sometimes Japanese practitioners also kind of are learning um, that right. depending on the on the patient's background, that might not the treatment might not be available, or they might not have the access, depending on the situation. So mm. I, I noticed that as well. Yeah. yeah, in my time in Japan, I've I've always lived in Kyushu, which is the the southernmost uh, well, apart from Okinawa, but of, of the of the mainland of the right. Japan, uh, fairly southern and usually in the in more rural areas. I mean, in the last 10 years, I've been living in Fukuoka, which is more metropolitan type of area. Mm -hmm. But just being able to communicate what was necessary and what yeah. was, I don't know, what was absolutely necessary at that point or what was a kind of option or it was very helpful to have a, a basic amount of Japanese. And I, I, I never had the kind of support that, that you're giving. So it would, mm -hmm. I think this time for assistance is, is very important. The presentation uh, that you sent me is in relation to the uh, GCS, which is the Glasgow Comma Scale, which is uh, usually uh, used to uh, see how responsive a patient is in in various situations. Uh, but in Japan, it's the uh, JCS, which is the Japan Comma Scale. And before we get into the specifics of the information that you covered in this. Uh, presentation. Who was your audience? So to whom were you were presenting this information? Were they people who had previous medical background? Are these interpretation uh, students? Are they people in your line of work? Uh, mainly interpreting students, uh, healthcare mm -hmm. or medical interpreting students. Um, so what happened in, just in that slide, I, the point was obviously most healthcare professionals in Japan would understand Glasgow scale and obviously there's Japanese scales but um, I wanted to say there's also, um, there's, what would you call it? Just as I mentioned, for example, the JMIP International uh, Standard Hospitals in Japan, obviously they would be very used to having foreigners come to uh, see consultation, but then other small scale hospitals would not be used to at all. So among different hospitals, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, what do you call it? There's a gap or there's a big difference or shall I say diversity. And also within the hospital, I felt there's a lot of um, gaps as well. So for example, the emergency care would use, emergency unit would use Glasgow scale. Once, once the patient is let's say they had an injury, they had a car injury or they uh, fell off the bike or whatever, then they would be transferred to, let's say, orthopedics or rehabilitation, rehab unit, rehabilitation, sorry, rehabilitation as in orthopedic, not rehab as in psychiatric rehab, rehabilitation, and then they would use Japanese scale. So mm. depending on the department, different unit within the same hospital would use different scales. So I just wanted to kind of to say that depending on the unit or depending who is the, the unit, 
uh, later, depending on the doctor, on the uh, consulting doctor, there would be a difference in the in the system that it's used. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they would um, they would need to communicate. They would need to kind of cross back and check and just convert everything in Japanese scale. So it's just kind of what do we call it? Uh, I felt there is not really uh, depending on the unit. Uh, well, the whole hospital itself did not have what do you call it, a very unified policy, like we use this and we, we go with this treatment, but it was very much left up to the individual unit to decide, uh, which probably works great. It's just that, for example, there's different scales used, so that kind of creates uh, more, let's say, the, the nurse might need to check or the physio might not need to, might need to check more about the scales or convert back and forward. So that might create more, uh, access, more access or more different duties on the day. Um, so, so, yeah, that's what I felt in that slide. Yeah. Well, I, I have no medical background at all, mm -hmm. but your, the presentation as, 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 a, as a PowerPoint uh, mm -hmm. was, was very well organized. Thank you. Were there any particular points that students mm -hmm. kind of picked you up on or things that mm -hmm. they, they felt between the two scales that as an interpreter, mm -hmm. That, that they had particular difficulty with. I mean, it, to, to me, it, it looked fairly straightforward, but then again, you're presenting it in English and I, and I speak English. So uh, That's right, yes. did, what kind of questions did you receive from your presentation participants? I got a lot of them, a um, lot of the med med medical interpreting students, uh, well, not a lot of them, but probably, uh, let's say 30 to 40% are actually nurses and they, they work in, in, in emergency care. And they would say the same thing Yeah, In my hospital, it's exactly the same. We use one scale for one for emergency and then other scale for other. So from the interpreting point, Glasgow scale has a lot more questions and different specific points for each point. But Japanese is just very simple. So it, they just call it one keta, ni keta, san keta. So it's like 10 points. One, uh, so they had 10 points, 100 points, 200. So yes, that's right, 10 points, 200, 100 points, 200 points. So it's much more simpler to uh, use on site, but let's go scale is more detailed. I suppose if you wanted to look in more specific, like the eye movements, or if you could, if they could raise their hand and then they have specific um, points, number of points. So that might help more with the diagnostic reports, I suppose, for the doctor. But just for interpreting, Glasgow has more questions. <laughs> so just the number of questions is higher. And obviously, we have to spend more time interpreting. And we wouldn't necessarily interpret for the patient if they were unconscious, it would be for the person, usually a family member or a friend, or whoever came with them, or, yeah, or maybe it would be much later after the interview, after. Well, just to give some specifics to our listeners again, who may, who may not be medical professionals, and I mean, I, I, I wasn't uh, and am not. Uh, mm -hmm. But having gone through this, and for example, the, uh, point one would be fully or almost conscious. Point two mm -hmm. would be, you know, difficult to rouse to speech mm -hmm. if there was in isn't any uh, exterior stimulus, mm -hmm. um, and then point three would be response to avoid stimulus such as pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uppermost is uh, no response at all, mm -hmm. whereas the Glasgow scale is is much more of a cumulative points score. That's right. Yes. yes. So with the Japanese one, it's more like whether there was a response, yes, no, right, or if right. they, if they, yeah, if they could like so re re responding, responding to speech, responding to That's pain, right. responding to or 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 respond to avoid stimuli. 
That's right. Yes, it's much more. So Japanese skills are much more simpler with much more, with, with the, let's say, 10, 100. The other one is like three points, five points, yeah. whatever. Um, so I understand that they would, Japanese would want to use a more simpler scale. It's just that just the, having the difference of two scales within the same unit or within the same, in the same department, it just creates some, may create potentially confusion. And then they would look, oh, that was on the other scale, not on this scale, et cetera, et cetera. Well, like I said before, I mean, the, the blog posts that you uh, sent me, you mm -hmm. sent me 58 of them. Mm -hmm. And were these created in response mm -hmm. to requests from local hospitals or were they mm -hmm. more in relation to the felt need of the students mm -hmm. or some right. combination of the two? Yes, combination of the two. So mainly role plays are so basically based on the actual um, assign, what they call it, assignments, well, the actual work that I have done uh, in Japan and also in Australia. There's, there's a few from Australia. And um, a lot of times for the accreditation test, for the medical interpreting, uh, we, there's a lot of different topics. So I do sometimes try to use those topics as well. And I try to have different variety. And also on YouTube, I've been placing as well, just different comments on how to. So usually interpreting students have problems, not problems. So um, they sometimes wonder about collocation, which verb and which noun should I use, that sort of thing. So I just try to give them some hints. And also with medical terminology, uh, for example, um, something like, you know, collarbone or whatever. So that's sternum in medical English. So it's just hard. It's, it's not an everyday word. And a lot of them, it's not actually English. It's all Latin and Greek anyways. But, so it just takes time to, to learn those type of things. And so I try to give them some um, learning, some study material. And what I've noticed with other schools or with other training institutions is they don't really provide much material at all. Mm. Uh, it seems to be a little bit behind the closed doors for various, but I understand the confidentiality. So obviously in my role place, I'll try to avoid uh, any personal or what do you call it? I'll just try to write a very brief uh, scenario uh, or about the background of the patient. And I'll, obviously I wouldn't say it's a hospital in a psychological, I'll just say something brief. I wouldn't say it's whatever the specific names to pro protect any privacy issues. It's interesting that you bring up the, the, the idea of collocation, which is a very kind of exacting mm. form of language use mm. at a time when you want to be as precise as possible, but perhaps mm. as quick as possible mm. in order to get to, uh, if there's an emergency situation, you want to get to the, the details. How important in teaching interpretation for medical situations is the exact idiom mm. Mm -hmm. on balance with the exact you know, medical procedure or the, the, the body part, for mm. example? Uh, well, for example, in, in Japanese, so the word for uh, test for examination, it's cancer. So, and then usually something, let's do something or let's organize something is shimasho, shimasu, shimasu, shimasu. So, for example, doctor will say cancer, shimasho, which, um, so usually it wouldn't be the doctor themselves. Well, in certain situations, they might draw blood, but usually they don't. There would be a nurse or someone else, technician right. or whatever, x ray. So, it wouldn't be like, I'm going to do, I'm going to perform the test on you right now. Uh, would be more like we are going to perform to test or I'm going to run some tests. So something like that, for example, what is the difference with the doctor would say, I'll run some tests or I'm going to actually perform tests. So a lot of the Japanese speakers would have sometimes difficulty, difficult in understanding the nuance, the difference between that. So I would say it doesn't really matter when I'm in a hurry, I'll probably just say I'll do the test. Uh, if I'm under time pressure or sometimes mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the, the, I can't actually hear this noise, I can't actually hear the conversation very well, so I'm just in a rush to interpret, to tell the, the patient anyways, but it, obviously if I have some 
um, what do you call it? If I can hear properly and if I'm not under pressure to say it right now, then I'll probably say I'll run some tests, which would be more idiomatic in that situation. Right. I mean, again, I think it comes down to the difference between different countries, people's expectations of what's going to happen. So uh, having lived in Japan now for as, as, as long as you have and for as long as I have, uh, the idea that the doctor will come in and will ask a few questions, perform a, a few perfunctory mm -hmm. tests and then say to the nurse, this is what I want you to do. And then you're just expected to continue with it. Whereas perhaps in other countries, it's more expected that your primary caregiver is going to be the person who's going, going to be drawing blood and doing all these things. So it, it is something that as an intermediary, maybe you, you have to explain a lot more in those situations. That's right. Yes. Just so you don't, uh, for example, right. for, um, let's say urine test, if mm. you want to have a urine sample, um, the word in Japanese that's used is, well, urine is nyo, nyo kensa, as, mm -hmm. as directly mm -hmm. translated, but a lot of time uh, on site in the hospital, they would say, oh, so is something totally different. So it sounds like almost like soy sauce. <laughs> so it's, like, uh, so it's um, sometimes they do have maybe for cultural reasons. Um, uh, I'm not sure if talking of urine could be embarrassed. Well, <laughs> probably not a pretty topic itself, but obviously it needs to be done for, for medical reasons. But they would have specific, what you call it, jargon or language <clears throat> that the doctors in Japan would use that not necessarily uh, a foreigner who's a uh, quite bilingual or who's, who's quite, mm. uh, who might have N1 or whatever, or other tests, or what, but it, there's some specific jargon that they would use. And sometimes they would also use uh, language, for example, for the, in the obstetrics, if there's an emergency, they obviously have to de do an emergency open surgery, so cesarean cut. So they could just say, in Japanese, cesarean cut is te or sekai, whatever, but they, they might say something like kaiser, so that comes from actually from uh, uh, German or, or mm -hmm. so it's they, they would have a lot of what you call it go or a lot of imported type of words that they have adopted in the medical situation scene and doctors tend to use. So sometimes even I hear that sort of language and you really have to kind of hear it quite a few times or you have to check the meaning. Like, do you mean cesarean? The patient mm. is going to have an emergency cesarean cut. So that can also create some trouble, or for, especially for a foreigner, for obviously for a Japanese person, they might be used to that sort of language, especially if they come from nurse, if they have a nurse background, but not necessarily from someone who is a not nurse and who is not Japanese background. So again, to give some background to people who are listening to this, not in Japan, uh, Japanese imports a lot of technical vocabulary from other languages and so we would know in English mm -hmm. uh, a cesarean section comes from the mm -hmm. you know to perform an incision to uh, remove a, a baby Kaiser of course being from the uh, uh, German, German, from the German yes, yes. a lot of medical research has been done mm -hmm. in German throughout you know the, the last several hundred years and that then comes into Japanese as loaned words this is a highly technical area and I, I recognize how much uh, difficulty you you may you may have in uh, getting everyone up to speed on you know doing this in in, in several languages could I ask you about sure. the last couple of years I mean obviously we're we're in the we're still in the, the pandemic I mean while yeah. we're recording this uh -huh. uh, Japan is uh, seeing a a large number of uh, Omicron variant COVID yes. cases. Yes. So we're all very concerned about that. Yes. But how has this situation 
altered uh, either how you do work or the requirements for your work or the type of things that you are instructing your students to learn? Mm -hmm. Well, um, a lot of my students, especially the ones uh, who work, let's say, in the infectious disease departments, they're quite busy, so they have been postponing their tests. So usually there's um, accreditations, there's twice a year, usually in spring and autumn. So they've been kind of pushing it, let's say, from autumn to spring, because they're just quite, it's just uh, uh, the medical setting is just really, really, um, what would you call it? <laughs> Um, I think a lot of healthcare professionals, I think in the UK as, as well, Omicron is quite high in numbers, it's high mm. in Australia as well. I think they really the sort of the burden, the, uh, just they're feeling really worn out. A lot of healthcare professionals are really under high pressure. And uh, I think I've, I had some, um, I was interpreting from some medical conference and there was um, one of the uh, nursing association in Malaysia. And I thought their, their example was really great that the whole country, I think the health minister just came up and said, okay, we're gonna bring all the retired nurses for two years, we're gonna give them contracts and they brought them all back. <laughs> so I'm not wow. sure if that, maybe with Malaysia, with a lot of healthcare minister seems to be very, uh, yeah, very sort of, uh, directive type of person so i'm not sure if that's possible all across the world but could be one of the solutions because mm. the 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 the, the, yeah, the the a lot of the hospitals the nurses they seem so tired and so worn out and now with omicron again and labat has but sometimes with the operation um operation mm. what do you call it the, uh, the operation <clears throat> theater they seem not to be as busy as because the other departments are prioritizing corona or whatever but then other nurses seem to be going to, for example, nurses from men, men, uh, mental health unit would be going to the uh, disease infection unit for the to help out, right? Uh, but because they have been working in their unit for quite a long time, then going to a different unit, um, they need to learn, especially with the pulmonary, uh, it's quite specific. So they need to be studying, they're studying or they have mm -hmm. to uh, get training on site and, um, yeah, so that's also creating a lot of burden. For me personally, I've been translating a lot of PCR certificates into English. Um, so I've been having uh, to do a lot more translation uh, work than interpreting itself. Um, and also at the moment with the inbound, in Japan, a lot of times uh, medical interpreting, it's, it's linked with the inbound, with the tourism. But tourism itself, it's mainly from China and other Asian countries. So it's not necessarily English. But um, sometimes the English is used as well. But uh, there's not only that inbound segment, obviously there's, uh, what do you call it, long-term residents, such as yourself and me who are living here, the students, is working. There's also diplomats, uh, or that kind of CEO or that sort of company as well. So I think there's a bit of a shift happening in Japan that a lot of, um, uh, what do you call it, um, these, um, infectious disease department heads or uh, higher senior doctors would, would seem to be con uh, commenting now a lot more about the long-term residents in Japan, what is happening about their healthcare. So there seems to be a little bit, bit of shift. It used to be very much inbound, inbound, let's bring the people, let's give them the tests or give them the obviously treatments as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit of a shift with the Omicron and whatever, the Corona thing. Well, hopefully um, we will see in the next six months to a year, hopefully a, a move away, a move out of this um, concerning period in our history. 
also from uh, 2018 uh, in Japan, there was a, a move to have more long-term skilled residents, mm -hmm. you know, move in from other countries to fill the skilled labor gap. So mm -hmm. assuming that we can move beyond COVID. Uh, how do you think your role is going to develop? Kind of what what kind of guidance are you going to need to give the medical uh, industry in Japan uh, moving forward? I, I having looked at your presentation, I noted the the need that you was placed in there for religious requirements to understand the different people from different countries mm -hmm. uh, as it may relate to dietary requirements during yeah. the example given was ramadan what are some things that you might that you think are going to happen with the development of uh, the encouragement of more long-term skilled residents coming into japan yes thank you well i think with the jica with one of the uh with the japanese uh, foreign ministry one of the bodies that that is affiliated um they have for example a lot of nurses fully qualified nurses coming from philippines from indonesia in places like that so specifically from indonesia they seem they, there's a lot of uh, islamic population so let's say hospitals that are very much aware or they're very much in tune with international needs for example they would be quite advanced they would have uh, let's say the normal, whatever you call it, the hospital tray, when you get your meal, rice or whatever, that would be, let's say, uh, yellow color for everyone. They would use pink color for halal meals. Mm -hmm. uh, or they would use different utensils, or they would tell the patient, we're not going to use uh, whatever, uh, uh, what do you call it, Osaka, the uh, Japanese sake when they're cooking, whatever, they, they're going to mm -hmm. minimize all those kind of in what do you call it not invasive but whatever sake is uh, kind of a weak form of alcohol that's used in many uh, japanese yes, based right. yes, uh, foods. Sources. yes that's yeah. right so they would be uh they, they would say usually in hospitals they wouldn't call it it's not fully certified halal with the with the stamp whatever with the certificate but it's kind of halal friendly mm -hmm. And they would tell it to the patient, uh, we do have halal. Some of the hospitals actually do have halal, but usually they tend to have halal-friendly foods. <clears throat> and also there's a lot of needs, especially with obstetrics, <clears throat> there's a lot of needs for vegan vegan food as well. Um, mm. So yeah, some of the hospitals actually have vegan as well. So they have different color tray for vegan foods. And just now, actually, I had a, a very close friend of mine came back from Melbourne after 20 years or something. She she came back to Japan for, for to look after her family, whatever. So she has to be, she had to be um, for 72 hours, she had to be in the, uh, what do you call it, in the hotel, basically, to prevent any infection. So she said actually that, um, all the foods, all the bento, the whatever, the foods, the meals that were given, it was just the regular version and vegan, which was quite interesting that they went for vegan rather than, let's say, vegetarian, halal, whatever. So maybe vegan was more inclusive or maybe easier to prepare for everyone and keep everyone happy. So I do feel, let's say, maybe a few years, five, ten years ago, I mean, vegan existed in Japan, but it was very sort of niche, very... I mean, even in Tokyo, when I lived, you had to go to Aoyama or whatever to have certain little cafe for vegan. It was very, very limited. But I think now it's getting, uh, people are getting more aware of, let's say, vegan or vegan sweets and stuff like that. So it's been in Osaka as well. I've seen quite a few cafes recently pushing for that. So definitely with that need. And also 
with patients also, let's say even simple, like for example, an American patient might just say, when they talk about the temperature, they might just say it in Fahrenheit or something right. like that. Or uh, a person from whatever, from UK or from, so they might just say, okay, I'm whatever, something pounds or I'm six foot, whatever. Uh, so usually with the medical questionnaire, because everything is, is kilograms, centimeters, whatever, Celsius, they'll probably write it there, but sometimes they might just say it off the, you know, off the top of their head. And sometimes Japanese uh, doctors or nurses specifically would be quite surprised Oh, but I need. I, what's that? Or in just just uh, the sort of what do you call it? The cross cultural understanding that people speak in different units, or that people have different beliefs or trusts. So I think that needs. I think Japan is getting more and more accustomed to differences, or they're seeing the differences a lot more. But perhaps a lot, um, a bit more needs to be done, especially for younger nurses as well coming from universities and just getting on the side. So what I've noticed with nursing education due to COVID or whatever, Omicron, blah, blah, um, that was mentioned actually in the States and, and in Thai and other, other countries as well, that they're not actually getting a lot of uh, clinical practice because they can't go to the hospitals. So what they keep doing is they just have watch online videos with the dolls, whatever used, you know, whatever resuscitation, but they can't, they're next, so the, basically nurses are coming out of universities and getting licenses, then actually never looked at the real patient mm. um, so that I think hospitals will need to get onto the sort of training and follow up the nurses in future as well but specifically with foreigners in Japan yes there will be needs to get more understanding as well. Well coming from the UK in a place that you know has a, a lot of different cultures uh, living together a lot of different first languages I think that Japan is this is a place that has been uh, monocultural for for quite a long time obviously people coming from different countries but expecting them to assimilate into Japanese culture um, do you think that uh, medical professionals are going to they're going to need in their basic clinical background need more of this kind of cultural mm -hmm. linguistic mm -hmm. social mm -hmm. training uh, even even as a basic yes, uh, yes, part of their yes. background I think in America, whatever, in Australia as well, I think most of the trainee doctors, or even as a part of the doctorate degree, they do have cross CCU cross-cultural understanding units and they talk about diversity. I don't think that medical universities at the moment, the trainees for doctors do have it, but as a part of the curriculum, but once they get on site, when once they get trainee doctors, they obviously do if they if they choose to go. I had one of my um, graduate students, she chose Shizuoka area, which is south south of Tokyo, southwest of Tokyo, and has a lot of Brazilian, uh, Nikkei, what do you call it, Nikkei Brazilian population. There's a lot mm -hmm. of factories there. Uh, uh, it's mainly car industry is quite big. So they have, uh, like, she could speak a little bit Portuguese as well. So she uh, wanted to, she chose a hospital for her trainee for two years, uh, uh, what do you call it, postdoc type of trainee program. She specifically chose that type of area. Another area is also north of Tokyo, Guma or whatever, or maybe around Nagoya with the Toyota, near the Toyota area as well. So um, doctors, some of the younger doctors actually specifically choose an area that's very diverse. It has a very high uh, population of foreign uh, labor, foreign workforce. I think that's one, one way. For, for the for trainee doctors to learn but specifically I would like to see more curriculum yeah specific and also for nursing degrees as well not only doctors but nurses actually specifically not only what do you call it as an outpatient care but when a, when a patient is hospitalized they spend more time talking to the nurse 
about the basic, obviously, the, the, uh, the treatment or the, the daycare, whatever, rather than the doctor. And I think especially mm. those nurses that work in a hospital in, in a kind of post-operative care, they really need to, um, they, that type of curriculum would be really good, something about diversity and understanding. Well, it's something I've noticed in the last 20 years of, of going to Japanese clinics. Maybe it's because when I first came to Japan, I was in quite rural areas, but uh, mm -hmm. the communication between the various people who come and talk to you, mm -hmm. uh, the nurses who come and take your blood pressure, who come and take your temperature, who come and communicate with you, that they will then go back and you don't have to repeat a lot of the information to the doctor. Mm -hmm. So like the just the communication level, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and also noting down a, a whole bunch of things. I have medical reports in, in various uh, hospitals, even when I've gone in for like removal of my of my back teeth uh right. they they they've noted down a lot of other conditions that if i ever went back into that hospital i'm sure the other department would would note it so yes they do they're very good with, with the data sharing as well and one of the um, differences is as you mentioned a lot of times in japan everything would be reported back to the doctor hmm. um rather than in other countries maybe the nurse would actually say okay this is your whatever this is your blood pressure or this is whatever. So, but in Japan, the doctor only kind of seems to have the authority to mm. kind of report or to talk to the patient. So, mm. yes, right. yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Brian. No, 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 it's fine. And I, 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 we're, we're getting towards the, the end of the interview here. So basically my, the question that I usually ask at this uh, time of the interview mm -hmm. is uh, what are your uh, future ideas? Where, where would you like to take uh, your career, your, your, your project? Um, uh, any other things that you're thinking of uh, doing to assist with the development of uh, Japanese uh, medical systems in relation to people coming into the country? Yes, uh, well, with medical is obviously helping people and, and taking one of other area that I did a little bit in Australia was legal as well. So legal courts. Uh, recently, I've been involved uh, a little bit with the worker compensation type of trials. So uh, people are having some uh, mental health related issues and they wanted to get certificates or sometimes they would have other uh, pre-existing heart condition and that got worse with the stress and work related problems so I'd like really like to get more onto legal sort of so and a lot of times medical is linked with legal specifically with there, there's some if obviously the hospital is is hasn't done perhaps a good job so the patient might try to sue them or they might seek some kind of legal advice or whatever so that type of more like onto legal sort of stuff I'd like to get and I do also do um, a little bit of education so kind of educational nurse or so nurse at, at university or nurse at high school as well so kind of linked more with the education side in Japan so basically the whole community kind of broad area community interpreting. I think I, I think that the general term is accommodation. Mm -hmm. I think that 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 seems to have been mm -hmm. um, developing recently, uh, as you said, like medical accommodations or mm -hmm. you know mental health accommodations and Definitely. ways to uh, mm -hmm. help people con continue with their careers even in the in the light of conditions. I'm I'm very interested to hear that you're getting into legal because my my background is law. So uh, maybe the next time that we uh, we have you on the on the podcast we can we can delve into that area yes. as well the person we've been speaking to today is uh julia kanesvik uh who is currently working at kansai university but has been a medical consultant and uh assistant interpreter and uh fulfilled a, a number of roles uh in japan fascinated to to hear about all of it today and this, this is something that's kind of if you are not in in this field 
I've I've had friends before in in the legal area, and people get called up in the middle of the night um, for a specific language, whether someone's got a legal issue, a, a long-term resident or a short-term resident, that they need language assistance. And it's this whole system that goes on in the background that people, even people who live in Japan, don't really know what's going on. So thank you very much for uh, sharing your time today, Julia. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is... If you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.